Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to Tesla's Q4 2019 Financial Results and Q&A webcast. At this time, all participants are on a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker, Mr. Martin Vieca, Senior Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Uh, thank you, Sherry, and good afternoon, everyone. And welcome to Tesla's fourth quarter 2019 Q&A webcast. I'm joined today by Elon Musk, Zachary Kirkhorn, and a number of other executives. Our Q4 results were announced at about 1 p.m. Pacific time, in the update deck we published at the same link as this webcast. During the call, we will discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. These comments are based on our predictions and expectations as of today. Actual events or results could differ materially due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those mentioned in our most recent filings with the SEC. During the question and answer portion of today's call, please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Please press star 1 now if you'd like to join the question queue. But before we jump into Q&A, Elon has some opening remarks. Elon? Uh, thanks, Martin. <clears throat> so Q4 was another strong quarter for the company. Uh, deliveries reached uh, over 112,000 vehicles in a single quarter. It's hard to think of a similar product with such strong demand that it can generate more than $20 billion in revenue with zero advertising spend. I think that's – we do say that from time to time, and I think it's, it's often – um, overlooked, but to have uh, the highest demand electric vehicle in the world with no advertising spend is, I think, quite remarkable and speaks to the, the, the nature of the product and the fact that it, the product itself is compelling enough to generate that demand without, uh, without a bunch of advertising. At our Fremont factory, we were producing at a rate roughly the same as uh, the Numi factory did in its record year of 2006. And uh, obviously, we expect to to exceed that uh, significantly this year. Uh, this rate of production was achieved before we even started to produce the Model Y out of Fremont. So there's a lot of potential uh, to go beyond that number. For the Shanghai factory, I'd like to say congratulations again to the team in Shanghai on launching Model 3 last quarter and uh, achieving the first deliveries earlier this year. Um, I'm really excited and optimistic about the potential for the, the Shanghai factory. I think it's, it's going to be an incredible asset uh, to, to the company. Um, and we, we also uh, broke ground on the uh, Model Y uh, factory in, in Shanghai. So a lot of good progress there. Um, regarding Model Y, uh, it was only 10 months ago that we revealed a Model Y prototype. And now in January this year, we started producing Model Y in limited volumes already. Uh, this is thanks to a great effort of our engineering team and we managed to achieve by far the highest energy efficiency of any electric SUV ever produced at 4.1 miles per kilowatt hour, um, <clears throat> which means Model Y all-wheel drive got an EPA rating of 315 miles. And this improvement is reflected on the configurator as of today. <coughs> this, is, this is above um, what we previously stated by a pretty significant margin. Um, and, and just with great acceleration, top speed, it's really just incredible specs all around. Uh, for the Cybertruck, uh, a few months ago we revealed the obviously revealed the Cybertruck um, 
and that was that went viral. Um, and we we try to build a product that a product that is superior in every way without any preconceptions of how such a product should look. So it really just from the standpoint of what's the most badass futuristic armored personnel carrier that you know kicks the ass of any pickup truck basically that's the, that was the goal um, and uh, the, the you know we wanted it to look like something that just kind of came out of a sci-fi movie set from the future and uh, the demand has been incredible I've never seen actually such a, a level a level of demand at this we've never seen anything like it basically um, I think we will make as about as many as we can sell for many years um, so as many you know, we'll sell as many as we can make it's going to be pretty nuts um, so um, and I think actually that the, the product is better than people realize even they, they don't even have enough information to realize just the awesomeness of it it's just great so um, and then um, stepping back in 2018 uh, from a financial standpoint uh, we were Free cash flow rate was uh, break even, um, but in 2019 we managed to generate more than a billion dollars free cash flow while building a factory in Shanghai in record time and while building parts of Model Y in production. So, I think to for us to have this level of free cash flow while making massive investments in capacity, while developing new products, while improving the core engineering, is a testament to the. Uh, I think incredible performance of the Tesla team, and I'm just so proud to work with such a great team. I'd like to thank the whole Tesla team for their ongoing work on, on uh, cost control, and is what, is, what is, has, has allowed us to get to uh, these compelling financial numbers while at the same time growing the company at an incredible pace. And in conclusion, when I think of what we have in front of us the next couple of years, we've got Model Y, we've got Giga Berlin, uh, Tesla Semi, solar glass roof, Cybertruck, um, some very exciting improvements in back battery technology, uh, full self-driving, um, got the next-gen Roadster, and probably you know, a bunch of other products we'll, we'll come up with too. Uh, it's hard to think of another company that has more exciting product and technology roadmap. So super fired up about where Tesla will be you know, in the next uh, you know, 10 years. Um, as, you know, if you look back 10 years from today to 2010, um, we will produce approximately a thousand times more cars in 2020 than we produced in 2010. A thousand. Um, and we have also solar glass and and solar retrofit and uh, power wall, power pack, you know, all those other things too. So, where will we be in 10 years? Very exciting to consider the prospect. Thank you very much, Elon. And Zach has some opening remarks as well. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Um, this past year was truly trans transformational for Tesla, and I want to thank everyone who's been a part of making this happen. On 2019, a few key points I'd like to highlight. On demand, while we've mentioned this a few times, it's worth highlighting once again. Over the course of the year, we've transitioned entirely from generating Model 3 orders from a reservation backlog to generating new and organic demand. We've also seen a stabilization of Model 3 ASPs, even increasing slightly in Q4. And we've seen an increase in ASPs of SNX after the launch of the longer-range versions in Q2. 
With respect to capacity expansion, we've greatly learned from the development and launch of Model 3 in Fremont and Reno. As a result, we've been able to bring new production capacity on board faster and with less cost. This is evidenced by the launch of Model 3 in Shanghai as well as Model Y in Fremont, programs that were both launched in under one year. Financially, we have demonstrated multiple quarters of strong cash generation, enabled through higher volumes, improvements to capital efficiency, progress on working capital management, and continued improvement in our product and operational costs. And we are able to achieve positive gap net income in both Q3 and Q4 for many of the same reasons that enabled strong cash generation. We've also made progress on recurring and software-based revenue with the implementation of premium connectivity and the beginning of upgrades available for purchase via the Tesla mobile app. Finally, on stock-based compensation, it increased sequentially by $82 million, driven almost entirely by an expense related to the next tranche of the CEO grant. This is a result of our improved expected financial performance of the company, which the CEO stock grant is tied to. As we look ahead to 2020, this again will be an important year for the company. Our task ahead is to execute on the, the next phase of growth while managing cash flows to support that growth. On Model Y, we expect first deliveries in limited quantities later this quarter and will ramp over subsequent quarters. As mentioned previously, we are forecasting higher gross margins on Model Y compared to the Model 3. This year, for the Shanghai-built Model 3, we expect to achieve run rate production and delivery rates. In addition, we expect to have completed the majority of planned supply chain localization at the factory or in the region. This is one of the most important components to achieve lower production costs for the site. We are also seeing strong order rates for the locally built Model 3 and remain focused on continuing the production ramp and managing costs. We also anticipate significant progress on factory construction of the Shanghai and Berlin built Model Y, which will result in continued increases in capital spending. On operating expenses, I expect an increase over the course of the year to support our growing product pipeline and international footprint. However, OPEX growth should increase at a lower rate than top-line revenue. Overall, we believe this will set us up for our strongest annual financial performance yet, with sufficient forecasted cash flows to support investments related to our growth and further strengthening of our balance sheet. For Q1, please keep in mind that the industry is always impacted by seasonality. Additionally, we are in the process of ramping two major products, Model 3 in Shanghai and Model Y in Fremont, which I expect will temporarily weigh on our margins. We are also in the early stages of understanding if and to what extent we may be temporarily impacted by the coronavirus. At this point, we are expecting a one to one and a half week delay in the ramp of Shanghai built Model 3 due to a government required factory shutdown. This may slightly impact profitability for the quarter, but is limited as the profit contribution from Model 3 Shanghai remains in the early stages. We are also closely monitoring whether there will be interruptions in the supply chain for cars built in Fremont. So far, we're not aware of anything material, but it's important to caveat that this is an evolving story. However, we have more than sufficient cash to continue our ex expansion plans while further strengthening the balance sheet. Thank you again for your support, and we will turn to questions. Thank you. Uh, we are going to take the first questions from um, uh, retail investors compiled by Say Technologies. So the first retail uh, investor question is, uh, since solar is required for all new home constructions in California, do you have any substantial orders for solar glass roofs 
from any of the large California home builders that you can share. What's the 2020 target for the number of solar glass roof installations in California? Well, I think we, we, do, we are seeing, um, for, for, admittedly from a, from a small base, exponential uh, growth in demand and uh, output for, solar, for the solar glass roof. Um, so it's difficult to predict what the number will be this year, except that the demand is very strong. Um, and we are, we are working also not just uh, through, through Tesla installers, but also through new home builders and through um, just uh, the roofing industry in general, uh, where there's, you know, in North America on the order of 4 million uh, new uh, roofs per year. So we see uh, a lot of interest. Um, and um, so it's, it's just a question of uh, refining the uh, the installation process, uh, getting um, lots of crews trained to do the installation. But uh, over time, I would expect a significant percentage of, of new roofs to beat um, something to, to use solar glass in one form or another. Uh, it's really going to be a choice of do you want a roof that is uh, alive with power or, or dead without? And I think people will want a live roof uh, that, that generates power. Uh, and looks good and lasts a long time, and it's uh, it's the future we want. So it will be a significant product, but because it is a new and quite revolutionary product, and it, it, there's a lot of you know challenges to overcome, um, but they will be overcome, and this will be a, a major product line of, of Tesla. And the, the Buffalo factory is doing great. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, second question from retail shareholders is, uh, will you release the Tesla wild-hailing network app before full autonomy and uh, change the terms of Tesla insurance to allow owners to be drivers on the network? If so, when will this happen? Might, this want, to tar uh, might want to target California airports first. Also, a good place to add superchargers. Sorry, that sounds like more question than one. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a bit of a bundle, yeah. Um, well, I think that it's, it probably will make sense to have the to enable car sharing in advance of the kind of sort of giant robo taxi fleet, um, because the car sharing can be done before uh, full self driving is approved by regulators. Um, so it's, it's probably something that we would enable before uh, the, the full sort of robo taxi fleet is enabled, um, and. Um, so it sounds like there were some other questions bundled in there. Uh, Superchargers yeah. at airports? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. yeah, probably we'll have superchargers at airports. We'll have superchargers wherever we see that there is a need for superchargers. And then on the insurance part of the question, it is our intent to allow people to put their cars into ride-sharing or the FSD network using Tesla insurance. Yeah. That's not currently the case, but by the time that this is available, it's our intent to get that ready. Okay, thank you. Uh, the next question from retail investors is, how many California owners are currently insured with Tesla insurance? What's the target for Tesla insurance in 2020? When will you start significant, uh, to significantly leverage the data you have from the fleet to lower the cost of your coverage? Uh, will we get premium discount of certain percent? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, um, so Tesla insurance is currently available in California. Uh, a couple of things that we're working on on this front. Uh, the first is to expand it to other locations, and uh, we're preparing the regulatory processes 
preparing our processes to go through the regulatory processes in those locations. Uh, we're also working on um, the processes to continue to adjust our rates in California, which also have to go through regulatory processes as insurance is quite heavily regulated. And, and that's where we're spending our time focusing on Tesla insurance right now. There's a significant amount of innovation, as we've discussed before, in this space, exactly getting to the intent of what the question here is, uh, using our technology to reduce rates, and this will be rolled in over time. It was the last part of the question was, will there be a discount for using autopilot with our cars? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, there will be. Yeah, the, the rate card for California Tesla insurance already considers the safety features associated with autopilot. Right, but I think I think it would make sense for us to um, close the loop on, you know, higher use of autopilot probably reduces the um, insurance costs. Um, it lowers the probability of, of injury. So uh, I think insurance is, is going to be, I think, quite a major product of Tesla over time. Um, the amount of money that people spend on car insurance is, is like a remarkably big percentage of the cost of a, a car. Um, like you, you can lease a Model 3 uh, right now for $400 a month, um, but a typical uh, uh, owner in California will be paying, you know, uh, somewhere between $100 and $200 a month in insurance. So we're talking about something which is maybe a quarter to half of the cost of the lease of the car is insurance. Um, and um, a lot of that insurance cost is just because comp the insurance companies don't have good information about the drivers, um, and that, that there's no good way to provide feedback. Where you know it's it's a, it's a very poor feedback mechanism uh, in terms of the insurance rates versus of the actual uh, way that the car is being driven. Whereas we can do that in real time. It, it's a fundamental information advantage that insurance companies don't have. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, you set expectations that you would be feature complete on FSD by the end of 2019. Can you please provide an update on when will we see this uh, with end users? Uh, uh, where are you in retrofitting the FSD computer to older models? Well, I mean, to be precise, I, I said I was hoping it would be feature complete with both FSD by the end of last year. Um, we, we got pretty close. Um, you know, it's looking like we might be feature complete um, in a few months. Um, but feature complete just means like it, it has some chance of uh, of going from your home to work, let's say, with with, that, with, with no interventions. Um, so that's, it doesn't mean the features are working well, um, but it means it has some, a, a, you know, a, a above zero chance. Um, so I think that's, looking like maybe it's going to be a couple months from now. Um, and uh, the, the, what, what isn't obvious regarding uh, autopilot and full self-driving is just how much uh, work has been going into improving the, the foundational elements of autonomy. Uh, the, the, the core autopilot and Tesla autopilot software and, and AI team is just is, like, very, very strong and making great progress. Um, and um, we're, we're really only beginning to take full advantage of the autopilot hardware, the FSD hardware. Um, so I, I think it's it, the, 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 the apparent progress as seen by uh, consumers will seem to be extremely rapid, but 
um, but actually, um, what what's really going on my head seems like I said is just is having the foundational uh, software be very strong, having a really strong foundation, um, and then a really fundamental thing is moving to video training. Uh, so in terms of labeling, uh, labeling uh, with uh, video um, and all all eight cameras simultaneously. Uh, uh, this is a really I mean, in terms of labeling efficiency, arguably like a three-order of magnitude improvement in labeling efficiency. Uh, for those who know about this, it's extremely fundamental. Um, so that that's uh, making great progress on that. Thank you. And the last retail investor question comes from Kendall. Uh, since most retail investors seem to understand Tesla better than analysts and are uh, uh, risking a larger part of their own personal wealth on Tesla, doesn't it make sense to take mostly questions on these earnings calls uh, from us via say? Uh, do you even have to take an uh, questions, um, answer questions from analysts? Well, I guess we, we don't have to. I, I, I do think that a lot of the retail investors actually have uh, deeper and more accurate insights than um, many of the, the, the big institutional investors and, uh, and, and certainly better insights than many of the analysts. Uh, you know, it's, it, it seems like if people really looked at some of the smart retail investor uh, analysts, or, or and uh, you know what what some of the smart smaller retail investors predicted about the future of the of, of Tesla, they would you'd probably get the highest accuracy and remarkable insight from some of those predictions. Okay, um, so now let's switch to institutional shareholder questions. Uh, the number one question is, uh, you have spoken previously about Shanghai uh, Giga being 65% lower capex of, uh, per unit of capacity. Have you learned to do anything better or different uh -huh. from, from an OPEX perspective? And if yes, uh, what kind of impact might we expect on the long-term growth margin? Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Um, the, the Shanghai factory is been a quite remarkable uh, cost experience across all line items uh, of COGS for the Model 3 there. We have talked a lot about the CapEx per unit of capacity being lower, but I mean, you can basically run down the entire list of COGS between labor cost, a material cost due to localization, so it's opening up suppliers that would not have made economic sense from the states. Localizing the supply chain flows into um, inbound logistics and outbound logistics costs as well, so we're not shipping cars from California over to China. Uh, and then that has a corresponding savings on our lower in import-related costs. And uh, there's a slide in the shareholder letter that shows a layout comparison between our Fremont facility here in California and also the Model 3 factory in China. And the simplification in terms of the flow is, is pretty evident from that layout. And that cascades itself into all sorts of savings to the operations of the facility. Um, and so, you know, if you add all of this up, our, our internal estimates are a pretty significant reduction in, in the cost of Model 3 in China relative to Fremont. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that the cost of the Standard Plus in, uh, that we're selling out of Shanghai is also lower than that of the similar car coming out of Fremont price. from a price perspective. And so, uh, and I've said this on previous earnings calls, I think it's fair to expect the margin coming out of the Shanghai facility to match the same margin for the vehicle in Fremont. Okay. 
Yeah, I think there's a pretty big um, fundamental efficiency gain that Tesla has uh, by just making cars, especially the affordable cars, um, three in the Y, um, at least on the continent where the customers are. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense. It's like what we're doing or have been doing in the past was really pretty silly it, in, in making cars in, uh, in California and then shipping them halfway around the world to uh, Asia and, and Europe. And uh, but this created uh, a lot of cost because you've got to ship those cars, so you've got a lot, a lot of finished goods sitting on, on the order or waiting at the port or going through customs. You've got tariffs, um, transport. It's, it's, uh, and then the factory complexity in in California is very high because you've got different regulatory requirements in, in China, uh, North America, and, and Europe. So you've got three different types of cars that are being built. Uh, it's, it's very complex. Um, and, and, uh, and just having a factory uh, in China, a factory in, in California, um, or factory in China, factory in North America, factory in, in Europe, uh, well, um, just that alone is a massive improvement in our fundamental operating efficiency. Uh, that I think is may not be fully appreciated, and also on working capital. Yeah, absolutely. Or using OPEX here too, because <laughs> it's not only China. Okay, the next question from institutional investors is: Given the recent run in the share price, why not raise capital now and substantially accelerate the growth in production, i.e., build the gigafactories, investment in supercharger and customer service? Well, we're actually spending money as quickly as we can spend it uh, sensibly. So if there's any sensible way to spend money, we are spending it. There's no artificial uh, holdback on, on expenditures. Um, anything that I see that is uh, looks like a, it's, it's got good value for money, the answer is yes, immediately. Um, so um, like we're, we're spending money, I think, efficiently and, and we're not artificially limiting our pro progress um, and then despite all that we are still generating positive ca uh, cash so um, you know in, in light of that it, it doesn't make sense to we you know to raise money because we expect to generate cash despite um, the this, this growth level no I completely agree with that uh, I think some of our learnings um, during the Model 3 launch period where we grew too quickly and with too much complexity. Yeah. And it held back our ability to continue to scale. And part of the journey that we've been on in 2019 is to unwind a series of unintentional bad processes that kind of accumulated in the company over time. And so that's kind of what contributes to the reduction in OPEX over the years. We get smarter about that. And, um, and now we've laid a, a good foundation, I think, uh, and I agree with Elon that we're not holding back on the growth. I mean, we have two products, two vehicle products launching right now, and uh, and that will consume much of the bandwidth of the company to stabilize those over the course of the year. And then looking into next year, we have even more products launching, more right. factories. Yeah. Uh, so we want to be smart about how we spend money and grow in a way that's sustainable so we don't... Uh, um, uh, fall victim to the mistakes I think we made a year and a half or so ago. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, the next question we've already answered regarding autopilot timelines. Uh, so the following question would be, um, can we please talk about cost control and OPEX sustainability in terms of growth versus gross profit growth? 
how did we achieve the recent OPEX trends and how should we think about OPEX needs as we grow both vehicles and geographic workloads? Yeah, I commented briefly on this in my opening remarks. Uh, we did see an increase in operating expenses from Q3 to Q4, uh, e even excluding the portion of that attributed to stock-based compensation. And when you double-click into that growth, it, it's supporting the, the Model Y program and also uh, Shanghai program as well. And so uh, I, I think we, as a company, are now at the point where we've learned a lot on cost efficiency, as I've just mentioned, and we've unwound a number of the processes that were not in the right place, including automating the things that need to be automated. And we'll continue on that journey, but I think we're at a point now where OPEX will uh, start to tick up, at least if you look annually from 2019 to 2020 to support our international footprint and then the growth of the company. It, uh, you know, our job is to grow that significantly slower than the pace of growth of revenue to improve the operating leverage, which we're very, very focused on. Okay, and the last question from investors is, the sales of Model S and X have stayed flat for several quarters. The main reason is that they still use 18650 batteries uh, when will SMX use 2170 batteries? Manufacturing capacity of 18650 may be used for battery storage systems instead. Sure. Well, actually, the, the, the core chemistry inside the 18650 cell has improved um, many times over the years. So it's really just a form factor as opposed to a core technology. Um, so it's, you know, I think we're, we're pretty happy with where the, you know, the, where the energy content of the cell and the the, the, the improvements um, in uh, efficiency of, of the vehicle. Um, the, you know, we're, we're rapidly approaching a, a 400 mile range for the Model S, for example. Um, so this is, uh, it won't be long before Model S is 400, or has a 400 mile range. Um, Drew, is there anything you want to add though? No, other than to say that um, uh, the 18650 lines, you know, have been running smoothly for a really long time, and uh, in a world where cell supply is 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 fueling growth, like or yeah. part of the, the 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 fuel of growth, I don't see a reason to turn that cell supply off. So. Yeah, um, and, and actually, the the, the model S and X uh, actually have more range than we are currently stating on the website. Um, we just haven't uh, gotten around to updating the, the I guess, the EPA certified okay. number. Um, but the actual uh, range of the Model S and X are above what the website says there are. That's true. Yeah. Sir? Yeah, the existing cars that, that are yeah, so that are being made. It's actually been that way for it's been a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we're, yeah, it must be in somewhere in the 380s or something like that. Um, person, yeah. Thank you very much. And Cherie, let's go to the Q&A on the phone. Thank you. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star 1, and we ask that you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Our first question comes from Adam Jonas with Morgan Stanley. Um, hi, everybody. And I actually agree that I think the retail questions were, were excellent, actually. Um, <clears throat> so, Elon, do you see potential for Tesla vehicles to be fitted with user terminals that are compatible with the Starlink constellation in the near or medium term future? Um, well, it's 
Um, it's certainly something that could be happen in coming years. If there's no plans to do it this year, uh, the focus of Starlink is really for um, high bandwidth, low latency connectivity uh, for you know homes and businesses and you know I guess aircraft and boats and that kind of thing. Uh, but the antenna for that high bandwidth, low latency thing is sort of about the size of meat and pizza, which you could put on a car, but I think uh, is more bandwidth than you would really need. I mean, technically, you could buy one and just stick it on the car. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll work. Phase rain time. Maybe just as a follow up um, for my follow up, how would assuming that we get the antenna form factor and cost down to a point where that that could be integrated into the roof of a car, for example, you know, cost effectively and aerodynamically, et cetera? How would compatibility with a Starlink? Um, uh, architecture theoretically improve the Tesla customer experience or the capability of the network? Well, I think it actually in most parts of the world would just use uh, the, the cellular connectivity, just use 5G. It would be the recommendation, certainly in like any cities or something like that, you know. But if, if you're out in the countryside and there's not good cell connectivity, then then you could uh, connect with a uh, Starlink antenna. And you wouldn't need, you know, you don't need to like have like gigabit level or level connectivity, you could probably like, you know, 20, 30 megabits is probably fine. Um, and then you could have a much smaller antenna. So, uh, yeah, I guess it could be good for, you know, making sure there's connectivity and outside of ma major cities and that kind of thing. But, I mean, that's a, yeah, I'm sort of, I'd say, relatively ob obtuse. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, I'm not thinking about it very much, to be honest. Thank you. Let's go to the next question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Dan Galves with Wolf Research. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks. Um, so hoping you could uh, give us some guidance on what CapEx is going to be this year. And, and kind of as I look to model out the business long term, is there a rule of thumb that we can use for capital expenditures per, per unit of production capacity uh, or some, some sort of rule of thumb like that? Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know uh, if we want to tell you. I don't think we want to say what our capex is going to be this year. Yeah. Uh, necessarily. Uh, we're except to say that, like as I said earlier, we're we're uh, we're spending money as fast as we can spend money um, in sensible ways. So it's, we're just not, it's definitely not artificially limited. Um, and you know we will spend uh, you know well a, a lot of money this year for sure. Um, it, it's, it, the, the challenge comes in like finding efficient ways to actually deploy the capital. Um, that that's the harder part than than sort of deciding on a capex number, really. Yeah, and I think we always find ways to become more capex efficient per, yes, per unit exactly. uh, of of capacity. Yes, that so we we'll, For sure. we challenge the teams to always become more efficient, and so we see a reduction per capex uh, per unit in, in terms of capex. Um, absolutely, um, it's definitely the right metric. Yeah, it's it's a good yeah. I think the, the, there's there's so much that tells the way that the core technology is improving radically um, that uh, maybe you wouldn't necessarily notice as an end customer, um, or some some of them where you'd notice some that you wouldn't. But it's just there are these things that you know, have a big effect on the efficiency of the company, um, like our internal applications team that that kind of builds the Tesla internal operating system. Um, and 
improves the sort of core automation of the company. Uh, th that makes a big difference to our productivity. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily you, you would see it uh, effectively in in healthier financials, but you wouldn't necessarily notice it as a, an end customer. Okay, got it. <clears throat> Maybe I could follow up. Um, I mean, your your kind of operating cash flow EBITDA is, is annualizing at four and a half billion right now. Um, you know, as I look out to the future, um, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of guessing that that could fund somewhere around you know 200 to 250 thousand units of capacity a year, which would be maybe a 30 percent CAGR over five years. I mean, I mean, is that is that something that's feasible for you guys to um, to execute on? On a consistent basis, uh, you know, a level of capacity building that large. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think we're heavy for more than thirty percent. Yeah. Yeah, I think the math. Uh, I'm not sure the math that you've done, but I, I think our internal plans are for faster. And um, just back on your first question, we will have additional detail on capex in the 10K. Um, but back to the growth rate, I mean, one thing to keep in mind is that uh, the Shanghai facility, we do have a loan facility uh, in place to support that growth, so that helps. And then as our production volumes increase, that generates more cash from the business as well. That allows us to, to continue to fund additional factories. So I, I wouldn't necessarily view it as limited as you described it. Yeah, I think um, a few years ago I said I, yeah, I think, I don't know when it was, but Years ago, I, I said my estimate was is that Tesla would um, grow at an, an average confidential rate, of, uh, average rate of in excess of 50 percent. I my soul holds that belief. Thank you. Let's go to the next question. Our next question comes from Gene Munster with Loop Ventures. Good afternoon, and congratulations on the progress. Uh, first question related to Cybertruck. You mentioned you'll sell as many as you can make. Can you remind me how many you think you can make and any thoughts on the cost of production um, for making those Cybertrucks? <clears throat> I, I, yeah, I think we, we don't comment on, the, on those detailed numbers, except uh, the demand is just far more than we could reasonably make in the space of you know, I don't know, three or four years or something like that. So um, the, the, the thing we're going to be really focused on is uh, increasing uh, battery uh, production capacity because the, the, that's very fundamental because you know, if you don't improve battery production capacity, then you end up just shifting uh, unit volume from one product to another, and you haven't actually produced more electric vehicles. So... Um, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why we uh, have not, for example, really accelerated uh, production of the Tesla Semi, because it does use a lot of cells. And, and unless we've got a uh, lot of battery cells available, then, then say, like, um, accelerating production of the Tesla Semi would, would then necessarily mean making fewer Model 3 or Model Y cars. Um, so we, we've got to really make sure we, we, we get a, a very steep ramp in battery production um, and continue to improve the cost per kilowatt hour of the batteries. This is this is very fundamental um, and extremely difficult. Um, so the you know we'll, I said we're going to do like kind of a battery day um, just to kind of explain more about this and what our plans are. Um, 
I think probably it's going to make sense to do that after the end of this quarter because I think it's going to be a, kind of an intense end of quarter as it was last quarter. Um, so, you know, tentatively, sort of in the April time frame, we'll do, do a battery day uh, and, and kind of go through what the um, challenges are. Um, you know, how, how do you how do you get from here to I don't know a couple thousand gigawatt hours a year or something? Great, I'll look forward to that battery day. Elon, you also mentioned in your prepared comments about other products that may come up, and the only vehicle not announced for Master Plan Part Two is a high passenger density vehicle. Any light that you can give us uh, regarding that project? Yeah. Um, you know, going back to what I just said, the the we, we've got to improve the total battery capacity. Um, otherwise, we add complexity, but we do not improve the number of vehicles on the road. Uh, so, uh, what we do, you know, some sort of high capacity vehicle at some point, probably. Um, but we we need to make sure we've got the batteries uh, to, to you know make cars that we already that are already on our plate. Um, and 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 it's it's just generally true, and I've seen some some uh, like uh, sort of sensible comments by Ark Invest, you know, where they're, um, they're pointing out that really people do prefer to drive in their cars mostly by themselves, um, and like the average, yeah, I mean the the average number of occupants in a car I think is like 1.2, and maybe with autonomy maybe it'll go to 1.4, maybe. Um, but I'm not sure if that even it even goes there. So, um, you know, w w will it make sense just for us to do sort of a minivan or, you know, sort of a sprinter-like van at some point? Pro probably, but like I said, we've got to solve this battery. It's, it's, we've got to scale battery production to crazy levels that people cannot even fathom today. That's the real problem. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Our next question comes from John Sager with Evercore ISI. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Um, I want to talk about the uh, the differences between the Model 3 and the Model Y beyond the uh, the sort of 10% rule of thumb just around uh, cargo and size. Are there other features that are, that are going to differentiate the two models? And then um, as, a, as a follow on to that, you've talked in the past about how Model S sales grew uh, with the introduction of Model X. So are you planning on setting up your production facilities to align with that thesis that essentially Model 3 sales will expand alongside the uh, the introduction of Model Y? You know, we're not we're not quite sure what's going to happen with but, but it is true that Model X the introduction of Model X actually increased Model S sales. because um, people would come in that look at the Model X and they like said, "Okay, you know, I'd prefer the sedan." And, and uh, we're worried that that X sales would cause S sales to drop, but they actually caused to increase. Um, so, you, you know, from but from our standpoint, I, we're not too worried about demand. We're worried about production. You know, it's, it's make sure we get that production ramp going and, and reach volume production as soon as possible with the Model Y. Um, and uh, it's hard to, to it's always hard to predict what that 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 S the the you know the exponential part of the S curve of of production. Um, production pretty much always follows this S curve, or it's kind of like a herky jerky S curve. Um, and you know you can 
easy to predict what it's going to be like in the beginning because it's slow, and it's easy to predict what it's going to be like at the end, but that intermediate portion of the S curve is very difficult to predict. So that's, and it involves a massive amount of hard work and, um, and, and just reacting fast to issues that arise. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're, we're just, you know, going to go as fast as we can with the Model Y and make sure it's a great product. I, I, I think there are some things that will differentiate it, but not um, just something we want to talk about on this call. Um, and I think, so, you know, when they do, when people do a teardown of the Model Y, I think they'll be impressed about some of the things they see. And just to add to that, uh, I think it's important to keep the Model Y launch in context of the next 18 to 24 months. But what we're working on here between Berlin and Shanghai and Fremont is to have 3 and Y locally produced in all locations. Yeah. And so um, Model 3 is expanding as Model Y is expanding. There may be ups and downs of various factories as we get to the journey of having these products on, all con on the major continents. Yeah. Also, the rule of thumb of 10%, I think you need to see it. When you see the car, you'll realize that it's not just a 10% different car. It's, 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 it's not just that there's more change happening, like, to the customer's perspective as well. All right, thanks, Sorry. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Colin Rush with Oppenheimer. Um, thanks so much, guys. Can you speak to the pricing strategy in light of the China price reductions as well as the mission to increase EV adoption? Is there a target for gross profit or operating profit on a per-vehicle basis that we should be thinking about, or, or how should we really frame that for ourselves? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to make the cars as affordable as possible, as fast as possible, um, while maintaining reasonable well, – well, well, still being at least a little bit profitable and growing the company like crazy and having good free cash flow and accumulating a, ca a cash balance. Zach, um, anything you want to No, I think that's very fair. Yeah. I mean, uh, our order rate supports the pricing that we have right now. We're working very hard to reduce costs uh, and expand production because, it, it, I mean, we feel from the data it's pretty clear that there's a lot of interest in our products. And so as what we're working on is to increase production, increase availability, availability of the products with time. Mm -hmm. And the price reduction in China is kind of the first step towards this global localization, more accessible price. And we'll continue to work on cost reductions in China as we do in Fremont and grow production. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that's really going to probably just have a profound effect on our financials is like is high volume and high margin, obviously. Uh, and that high margin part comes from autonomy. So do people buy the, the full self-driving package or not? And do they buy it worldwide or only in certain places? Um, for example, our autonomy is not as good in China as it is in the U.S. So fewer people, a very small percentage of people buy the FSD package in China. But as we, as we fix that, then we'll see a much higher people, percentage of people buy it. Um, and as we get closer to full self-driving, um, that's just going to become more and more compelling. So that, that that's from a financial standpoint, that's the real mind blowing situation is high volume, high margin because of autonomy. Okay, and then just shorter term, you know, there's significant discussion in the industry around moving to higher voltage on the powertrain, and then you know some challenges around the supply chain's preparedness to support that. You know, separate from the battery pack, since we'll we'll talk about that in a couple of months. Can you speak to the areas of focus on powertrain uh, technology uh, driven cost reduction over the next 12 to 24 months that we should be thinking about? Well, our powertrain is pretty 
damn good. I mean, it's way better than anything else out there by Country Mile. You know, it's worth noting, for example, that the uh, the Model S has like 100 kilowatt hour pack. The Taycan has 100, you know, like 95 kilowatt hour pack. The Model S uh, is steadily approaching 400 miles range. The Taycan has 200 miles of range. So we must be using that energy pretty efficiently, and the powertrain is a big part of that. Um, I would just say that focus is on cost on the powertrain. Um, when we're thinking about technology innovations, it's how do we how do we continue to drive the cost down? Yeah, and and you know that's through voltage is maybe one angle, but there are certainly others that just enable more power density and lower cost. Applied powertrain is like mind blowing, I think. Um, yeah, coming out later this year, end of the year probably. That's our goal: get the applied powertrain out end of the year. And then it's going to be like, this is like alien technology. It's insane. It's all about power. I, I, I didn't even think we could do, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought it was. No way. Um, this kick-ass engineering team this tells, a, tells us all about hardcore engineering. Great. Let's go to the next question, please. Our next question comes from Emmanuel Rosner with Deutsche Bank. Hi. Good evening, everybody. Uh, so in, in your slide deck, uh, you had the a comment around uh, average selling price being uh, stable uh, or thereabouts in 2020. Can you maybe walk through some of the puts and take, how you see sort of like that uh, metric evolve? Obviously, you have the Model Y, which probably would have initial you know, higher pricing, and then the China Model 3 is at a lower price. So uh, I guess what are the puts and takes for what you would see as sort of like stable ASP in 2020? And, uh, yeah, I, th I make think the price better and better. Yeah, increase I, the value. I don't know. Yeah, we're, we're, we don't want to really comment on like prices and stuff. I think you know we'll adjust according to what the demand looks like. I mean, like right now, it looks pretty good. Um, maybe that'll change. Who knows? Um, yeah. But but I think the way you described it is fair. So I mean, relative to the current Model Three, uh, China Model Three pricing is slightly lower. Uh, and our Model Y pricing is public on the website, so you can see that it's clearly slightly higher than, than what Model 3 is out of Fremont. Uh, how the mix of those three products nets out over the course of the year, we'll see. But I, I think it's probably fair at the moment to assume the mix of those stays fairly stable in terms of ASP when you average them together. Yeah, I mean, the affordability of our car in China improved radically because of, you know, you know, very... You know, t tariffs mostly gone away, purchase tax exemption, uh, local pot supply, not having to spend a bunch of money to transport it over the ocean. Um, so the, the affordability is night and day for our car in China. Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Dan Lady with Credit Suisse. Hi. Uh, good evening. Thank you for, for taking the questions. Just want to follow up on the question on capital raise. So given the cheaper cost of, of capital, and this is a real competitive advantage for others, why wouldn't it make sense to raise capital to either pay down debt or to pursue acquisitions, especially bolt-ons that could help you accelerate capabilities in uh, uh -huh. autonomous or battery technology? I mean, if you know of any acquisitions, we'd love to hear about them. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sounds great. Who, who should we acquire? Uh, 
Uh, well, I, I, given the uh, importance of autonomous, I imagine that this is an area that you would want to accelerate if you view it as a, as a crucial competitive advantage. We're not aware of any one that we'd want to acquire. And debt, debt pay down? Um, polluting the company to pay down debt doesn't sound like a wise move. I mean, I think, okay. yeah, I think the broader, there's been a couple of versions of this question over the course of the call. I think what we're saying more broadly is that as we look forward on the cash generation from the business relative to what our plans are, um, we are not constrained. Yeah, we're, we're going to pay down the debt just, you know, as time goes by. And we paid down half, half a billion dollars worth of debt last quarter. Um, so we'll just keep steadily paying it down. Um, and, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Maureen. But yeah, I don't think we have anything more to say on that part. Really. Okay, thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. Our next question comes from Pierre Farragut with New Street Research. Hey, thank you for taking my question. Ian, I, I wanted to come back on, uh, on up on batteries. And if I look at um, the end of this year, you should have 800,000 uh, units in production capacity uh, for cars. So that's, if you add to that Model X and Model S um, uh, and then the energy storage business, it means you need only north of 60 gigawatt hour of battery production capacity. So where do you stand now? And how do you get there? And then it looks like your competitors or those who would like to compete with you seem to be struggling to, 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 to grow uh, battery capacity. Uh, so, so if you can just take us through what you're doing differently, why you're confident you can do that, and it looks like nobody else can. Well, you know, I guess, you know, a lot of people sort of made fun of us for, for not, like, you know, being able to grow you know, both cars and both capacity, and it's like now that it turn, turns out actually even the pros have trouble with it, you know, it's pretty hard. Um, so, you know, but the fact is we've already demonstrated massive growth in cell production capacity at our Gigafactory Nevada, um, and, you know, you have to go from the cells to the modules to the pack, so it's not just cell capacity, but also module and, and pack capacity. Um, so we've just gotten pretty good at that, um, and we've worked well with uh, key partners uh, like Panasonic. A Panasonic relationship has been been excellent. Uh, they've been a great partner with us for for many years. Um, we've added some some additional uh, partners at a at a smaller scale, um, you know, with uh, LG and CATL, um, and uh, you know, um, and we'll have more to talk about uh, this in detail. In battery day, like I said, probably you know, probably April. We've got a very compelling strategy. Uh, I mean, we are super deep on cell, super deep, and cell cell through battery, so cell module battery. I mean, Drew, is there anything you want to add? To that? Thanks. I think, I think you said it, said it all. We are super deep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a core. <laughs> it's yeah, a the core rabbit hole. Yeah, rabbit hole goes down pretty far. Seven days a week. We're, yeah, we did seven days a week. Yeah battery production. Um, man, do we know a lot about right. batteries. Jeez. <laughs> I, think, I, I think can see that. that. Uh, the, only would add is, sorry, the only thing I would add is, you know, we, we do have more, more a decade 
plus of experience of not just like what a cell should be, but how to integrate it into the product, and that's really helpful. Yeah, yeah absolutely, and how to manage the, the cell and the module and the battery and through different weather conditions and different environmental and different charge regimes, and wow, we, we really know a lot about batteries. Um, yeah, <laughs> next level. Uh, okay, thanks. And uh, Zachary, maybe a quick uh, mundane follow-up for you, if that's all right. Uh, can you give us a sense of the impact of the ramp of Shanghai uh, on your cost in Q4? Yeah, it, we were negative gross margin on the products that we built in Q4. Um, but the team in China, I think, did a great job managing costs during the launch. And so there was a slight drag associated with it, but not terribly significant. Okay, and let's go to the last question, please. Thank you. Our last question will come from Joseph Osha with JMP Securities. Um, further to the conversation around uh, cell technology, I'm just wondering if you can comment on uh, what the plans are for the Maxwell technology that, that you acquired, uh -huh. either as a capacitor or a dry cell or what have you. Thanks. Well, like I said, we're going to talk about this in Battery Day which is probably April, um, and then a lot of these questions will be answered. I think it's going to be a very compelling story that we have to present. Uh, I think it's going to actually blow people's minds. It uh, blows my mind, and I am you know, I know it. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's going to be pretty cool. Um, Maxwell, Maxwell, that that ultra cap technology is kind of part of the part of the plan. It's a, it's it's an important piece of the puzzle. Yes. Um, All right. I think like some of this, this, this sort of retail investors have managed to put together several pieces of the puzzle. They seem to have the most insight. I shall have to read the blogs more. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Thank you very much for everyone for all of your good questions, and uh, we will speak to you in another three months. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.